So Money Episode 267, Matthew Knowles, Beyonce's dad. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Hey everyone, welcome back to So Money. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. Thrilled to introduce today's guest. Once upon a time, he was a Xerox top sales executive. Then he became a music mogul and Grammy Award winning executive music producer. Oh, and by the way, dad to the Queen Bee. Yes, that's right, Beyonce. And Solange, with over 23 years of experience in the music industry, Matthew Knowles has helped artists hit targets of success and brought them to super stardom. Remember uh, Destiny's Child? He managed them back in the day and helped bring his daughter Beyonce solo until their mutual split back in 2011. And now he's back on the scenes and out with a book entitled The DNA of Achievers, 10 Traits of Highly Successful Professionals. The book is already an Amazon number one bestseller, and the release is actually on October 15th. So you can go and pre-order the book today. Some takeaways from our conversation with Mr. Knowles, the challenges of being in business with family, growing up with entrepreneur parents in the South, what they taught him and managing cash flow as an artist when you're making so much money and there's a lot of pressure to spend. Here we go. Here is Matthew Knowles. Matthew Knowles, welcome to So Money. Congratulations on your new book, The DNA of Achievers, 10 Traits of Highly Successful Professionals. How does it feel to be an author? Well, first of all, thank you for our news. I'm not excited. You know, I, I, you're always hopeful. It's like putting out your album, first album on one of your artists. You, you're hopeful. You're excited. There's a little fright and fear. And all of those emotions, and you hope you did a great job, and people people will appreciate uh, your, your your artistry. And so, hey, I'm all of those right now. I'm just getting so much support from the media, and so much support from folks buying the book. The book is called The DNA of Achievers. Do you have to have it in your DNA, or I'm sure that helps? But can can this be also self taught? Oh, it's self taught. You know, when I came up with the title DNA, it uh, was more of a figurative. Uh, you know, we have a DNA that's uh, molecules and genes and genetics. And then when you look at business, there's a personality trait. There's a passion that that makes up the DNA. And so DNA can be learned in business. Well, let's talk about your start in the business. I understand that you were doing very well at Xerox way back when you were leading over 250 marketing and sales seminars. How did you decide that you wanted to make the transition to the music industry? Was it that you just saw how much talent you had under your roof with your daughters? Well, you know, I was at Xerox and then I went on to be a top salesman at Philips selling CT and MRI scanners. And, you know, in the early 90s, uh, this word managed care started. And it was one, I was a neurosurgical specialist, and the neurosurgeon asked me, he wanted to speak to me after uh, the procedure, and I thought, what did I do wrong? And then he just went on to say, you know, at this hospital, my surgical procedure is the highest. 
And if I don't get that cost down, again, this managed care we all know about today, if I don't get that cost down, I won't have the ability to practice at this hospital. And because your product is the highest, most expensive, I can't use it anymore. And that just took the bubble out of my passion. Uh, and I have to do like a lot of people that might be listening right now. I have to look deep inside and define what is my passion. Well, for me, it was always educating and motivating. I mean, as a salesperson, isn't that what you do as a manager or in the entertainment industry as an executive? Isn't that really what we do is educate and motivate? And so that's when I looked at, you know, I love music. And, you know, my kid, I have this daughter. She loves music. And so why don't I explore more this passion inside of me about music? And that's how I started for me. And I went back to school, uh, took courses in the music industry so that I could understand it more. And uh, that's kind of how I got started for me. And of course, there's only so much studying that you can do. There's a lot of learning on the job. What did you learn maybe the hard way or that you learned on the job while you were in the midst of being a manager. Uh, and I can only imagine, you know, the music industry is so competitive. What did you learn while you were in it? Well, one thing you said really, really accurate. accurate. And that is, you know, on the job, you have to experience the on the job training aspect of the music industry. I mean, we can talk about the books all day long. And actually, you know, I teach at Texas Southern, but I don't teach from a book for that reason. Uh, for eight years, I've never taught out of, out of a book. I, you know, I have mentors. I have mentors who help me in the understand the touring aspect of it. I have also, I had to pull the experience that I had in sales and marketing. Uh, but one of the things I talk about in the DNA of achievers, one of those traits is learning from mistakes, learning from failure. And I had those, like all of us make mistakes, and I learned from those. And it, you know, I always say mistakes are a reason to grow, not a reason to quit. And so I kept growing and growing and building relationships and thinking outside of the box. All the things I'm talking about in the DNA of achievers, I actually lived that in learning in the music industry and transitioning from an industry that I understood fundamental marketing and sales, which gave me an edge on everyone else. Mm. What would you say going back in time was the big break for you with Destiny's Child? And what would you say was the moment, you know, the one moment, or there are probably several moments, but one that really you remember crystally clearly that all the stars aligned or there was some kind of advantage that you have an opportunity that really just created a ripple effect? It was a ripple effect. You know, um, strategic planning, uh, we we always had a three to five year plan for Destiny Shaw. It was never, well, the next album. Uh, we, we thought this carefully through, uh, kind of like on a chessboard, you know, what's the next play and what's their next play. Um, and we thought this through, and it, there was strategy involved. And, you know, fortunately, let's first talk about the incredible talent I had to work with, I had to work with. I still, I still manage Destiny's Child. These ladies are incredibly talented uh, and incredibly passionate. So I had that to work with initially. 
but it was a death, you know, the first single, no, no, no. The fact that the very first single in their career went number one on all the charts and there was strategy we had behind that. Uh, you know, the second album, uh, Say My Name and Keep had incredible hit songs on that second album. We went five singles deep and the, the ladies beginning to tour and really, really putting together a credible creative show for touring and having brand partnerships in touring that enhanced it. It, it was all of the above. Along the way, how do you learn who to trust? You know, the, the the music industry, and I think in all realms of entertainment, there are people who um, don't have your best interest, at, you know, at heart. How do you know, how did you become a good judge of who is a good person to work with and who was not? Well, Farnoosh, I think you're just kind of helping me go through every chapter in my book here. Thank you. That's my job. <laughs> but, but, you know, when you talk about trust, it also starts with that talk-to-do ratio. People that do what they say they're going to do. And if they don't do what they say, then you can't trust them. Um, so it's part of it, of it is the talk-to-do ratio. The other is just a gut feel that we get when you experience. You know, I was fortunate. I was unlike a, a lot of people in the music industry and entertainment. I came with 20 years of corporate experience. So you can gauge personalities of people. You can gauge looking in folks' eyes. You can look at their body language, you know, the arms folded, legs crossed, all of those things that I had to allow me to kind of get a sense of a personality of a person. And as someone who is a manager, but also a father figure and father to some of how did you, like, how did you balance being a manager and then also being the protective dad? It's, it's always difficult to mix business with family. And I think that there's got to be an element of protectiveness that came into play. How did you navigate that? Well, well, you're right. It is difficult. Uh, it's no easy task uh, when you, your family and then business become enmeshed with family, uh, that becomes extremely difficult. Uh, and you just have to go one scenario at a time. Uh, there's no easy answer for that. There's no, this is the formula for that. It's, it's difficult. Um, you know, fortunately for me, I, again, this corporate experience allowed me to be able to separate when I had to make the decision in the business side to separate the emotional aspect of being a parent. And that's hard for some people. It was easier for me because, again, I had experience in it. Um, but that was that was challenging. That was difficult. Yeah, I can only imagine. I understand that you, you, know, you had uh, entrepreneurial parents uh, back in the 60s. You were raised. What did that teach you at an early age? I often ask my guests on the show to go down memory lane and share with us a specifically a financial memory of their childhood, one that still today has stuck around. Can you share something like that with us, like a money memory that you had in, in the context of being raised by entrepreneurial parents? Well, Farnoosh, um, you know, I was born in 1952 in Gaston, Alabama. So you have to draw that picture of what that looked like in Alabama, 
George Wallace as the governor, and, and what did Alabama look like in 1952 with desegregation? Um, my parents, uh, my dad made $30 a week driving a produce truck. My mother was at that time called a colored maid, and as a colored maid, she made $3 per day. Not a lot of money, uh, but both of them. My dad convinced the owners of the company to let him use that truck all the time, seven days a week, 24 hours a day. And he would take that truck, tear down all houses, and then he'd take the metals, the copper, the brass, aluminum, and he would go and sell that. He would sell the lumber. Uh, he would also use that truck to tow cars. And he would tow them, actually, instead of to a junkyard, he would tow them to our backyard. And there he would take out the transmissions and sell them, the radiator, you know, any parts he could of the car and sell those. And that taught me entrepreneurship. My mother, on the other hand, on the weekends with our best girlfriends would make quilts in our living room. And then she would sell those quilts. So I learned at an early age, and I never, never knew I was poor. I never knew I was poor because my parents were such entrepreneurs and they had such incredible work ethics. That's amazing. That's a really amazing story. And I also like what it shows that they were very resourceful too. Like your dad using that truck, even though he was given that truck for uh, one job, he said, you know what? I've got a truck and I'm going to use it for other things. So that was really smart. And um, I think a great lesson. What's a habit that you have, Mr. Knowles, a financial habit that you have that you can share with listeners that helps to either manage your money well, help the money coming in, save well, invest well, something that you do consciously with your money that you attribute to your financial success? Well, you know, when you're an entrepreneur, and I teach entrepreneurship at Texas Southern, that's one of the classes I teach along with two others in the School of Communications. Um, you know, entrepreneurship, uh, you have to be resourceful with your money. You know, there's cash flow. And one of the things I learned as owning my own business is managing cash flow. Um, my staff and employees really don't care about anything other than doing a great job, which they do. But they want to get paid every 15th and 30th. And they don't want excuses. And I'm fortunate over the last 24 years, I've always paid my staff uh, on time, never had a check to bounce, uh, proud of that. But learning how cash flow work and learning how to work not on the next bill, but on the next and of the next bill, being three bills out that I'm working today and not just working on what's going to happen tomorrow, but what's going to happen six months from now. And how do I start bringing that closer and closer to fruition? And then when that happens, have three others in the future. So working on the futures, you have to do that as an entrepreneur. When you were managing your daughter's careers, did you teach them money management as well? Is that something that a manager should do or could, or, or did in your case? Is that something that you took on as a responsibility? Well, just only in a general sense of them understanding budgets, uh, because we everything we do in business and in the music industry, there's a tour budget, there's a promotional budget, uh, just letting them understand there's a recording budget. And so understanding these budgets and how budgets 
work. That was one of the things. So from a general sense, but you're right in that, uh, that team. Uh, and again, one of the chapters is building this team, but in business, that team is the entertainment attorney, the manager who is the person that's coordinating and working on the goal, uh, that business uh, manager who's managing the money. That's that business manager's role. You know, what's interesting about the music industry and in situations like Tony Braxton, I'm sure you're familiar with her career. You know, she um, declared bankruptcy, I believe, or she had real financial troubles. She claims that while she was building her career, she was continually indebted to her label. And it didn't even occur to her really until the, the debt came due. What do you have to say about about that? You know, how hard is it as an artist to arrive at a real payday? You know, I mean, a lot of things come up in that question. Um, again, just because as a professor, I teach entrepreneurship. You know, Donald Trump has uh, declared bankruptcy before. It's interesting to me how nobody really puts energy in that. But yet you would put energy in Tony Braxton bankruptcy. And I have to ask myself, why? Uh, why do people, some people, put energy about bankruptcy and others? The second thing that comes up to me, any sophisticated business person understands that bankruptcy is not a negative. It's not a negative. It's a law. Well, it's unfortunate. If <laughs> someone gives, it's not unfortunate. What's unfortunate I would rather about? not declare bankruptcy. I mean, if I had the choice to declare well, bankruptcy well, or not. I, 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 but, I, but that's your opinion. You, you, you don't know what the economics is. And when somebody's, you know, the thing about bankruptcy, we get really media, you know, want to get all over it when we talk about 100000 But when somebody says $100 million, they commit bankruptcy, then nobody gets excited about that. When it's a hundred million, you would think you get more excited about it, but nobody does. Then you're smart. At a hundred thousand, you're not smart. I don't want to do that. But at a hundred million, I can walk a little way from a hundred million dollar debt. Dang, that guy's a genius. I just find that very interesting how we look at bankruptcy. I've never declared bankruptcy. You know, I'm fortunate, but it's not a negative. Hmm. Uh, it's not a negative. Well, um, Mr. Well, Lowe's, I don't know. Let's go back to Tony Braxton. We yeah, don't know. I mean, she. I think if you all, ask her, she wishes all, all that it never happened. About Tony, all we, all we know is what we read and what we hear, and we do know, we do know that a large majority of what we read and what we hear from other people is hearsay and third party. Um. Perhaps. She has gone on the record about the bankruptcy. You know, she's been in extensive interviews about it, but it's not really the point. I mean, I guess really my question is that in the entertainment industry, when a lot of money is getting thrown at you, it's really easy to kind of lose your bearings. Would you agree? I mean, unless you have really good advice, counsel, and a good head on your shoulders. Yeah, I totally agree. And again, it's about putting together the right team and having a business manager uh, that that's their role. The mm -hmm. role of the business manager is to ensure that the financial aspect is taken care of, and the advice is given to the client from a financial perspective. That person is doing the taxes. That person is paying the bills. That person is bringing in the income, looking at the budgets, um, and giving it advice financially. 
To see your daughter's careers today and how they've blossomed, how proud do you feel as a dad and as a manager? Well, I tell you, know, folks ask me what's the number one thing in my life that I'm most proud of. Or, you know, it's not the trophies and the plaques. Um, it's not really the success that they've had. The most important thing for me is, as a father, to see my daughters, uh, they're extremely happy. Uh, and they're happy for a number of reasons. They're happy wives, they're happy mothers, uh, and they're happy with the success of their careers. But more importantly for me, what I'm proud of is that they are really good, nice people. Uh, outside of the music industry, they would t- treat someone no differently than inside. And they would treat a fan uh, of theirs no different than a homeless person. They would give respect and love to everybody, and I've seen this. And that's what I'm proud of. I have to say, it was so great to have you on the show, Mr. Knowles. We're really excited for your book at So Money. And thanks for sharing these great anecdotes and stories from your life going down memory lane with us. Everybody, the book is called The DNA of Achievers, 10 Traits of Highly Successful Professionals. I have to ask you, you know, one last question, which is, what made you really want to write the book? I mean, you're doing so much. You're teaching, you're managing. Why a book? Uh, you've been behind the scenes for so many years, and this is really putting you out there. What was really the goal? Well, the goal is twofold. Um, what is my passion? I, I want to live, and I do live, what's in the book. Um, my passion is to educate and to motivate. And my passion is to do that in two areas right now in where I am in my life. I'm 63 years old. Um, I think people actually forget that I'm 63 years old. Uh, and, and 63 years young. And motivating <laughs> in a hair, yeah, 63 years young. I like that. And my passion is, is in the areas of entertainment and entrepreneurship. And so what I'm doing is rolling out, and this will be announced in the next 30 days, uh, a whole platform for entrepreneurship and a platform for uh, entertainment. And the various books, uh, modules, online, seminars. I'm doing a seminar October the 24th in Houston. Uh, The entertainment industry, how do I get in? And I'm doing seminars like that all over the world. Um, and, and I have several books right now. And simply go to Eventbrite and you can find out more about that. But that's my goal in life right now. And as a college professor, now I've taught now for 16 semesters just at Texas Southern University and another two semesters at Fisk University in Nashville. A lot of people don't know I was an educator in the highlight of Beyonce's career. Uh, so this is not new for me. And as an educator, you write books. Uh, you want to give back. Uh, and so for me, that's, that's one of the reasons. The other is just travel and meeting all of these successful people. And in my book, I have 30 different people that talk about a chapter. It's just not me. Folks that I respect and look up to that is highly presidents, chairmen. Uh, so those are the reasons, you know, I, I hope that my goal in the next 24 months is to actually have six books, some of them classroom type, like artist management, 
uh, intro to the entertainment, the recording industry, uh, intro to entrepreneurship, and then Destiny's Child's story, uh, autobiography, the true story. Uh, then I have another book uh, I've already started. It's called Racism from the Eyes of a Child. That's where my passion is today. Thank you for following your passion and inspiring the rest of us. It sounds like you've always been used to multitasking and this is, you know, this is you at your peak. So congratulations, Matthew Knowles, and uh, thanks for joining us on the show. Thank you. Have a good day. That's a wrap. Thanks so much to my guest, Matthew Knowles. His book, again, available October 15th, but you can pre-order it today, The DNA of Achievers. And we have the transcript from this interview, as well as, of course, the audio recording and the comments from this episode over at somoneypodcast.com, where you can leave me also a question. Click on Ask Farnoosh and click away. I get these questions every week answered on the Friday episode, the Ask Farnoosh episode. So looking forward to hearing from you. Thanks again for tuning in, everyone. Hope your day is so money. Money.